The Puritan's Guide to Fall Songs Guide. I'm changing into our 2017, the Northern White Crap Theory. How can you listen to idiots like him that's just been on? Tonight's song is... Oh, Grassy Dale and Lowland Sea. I guess at least for us, uh, for Bob and I, uh, we're doing we're doing English Scheme. Um, it was released first on Grotesque after the Gram on November seventeenth, uh, nineteen eighty. And uh, to talk about English Scheme, we've got Brendan from the Fallout podcast with us. So, hello, Brendan. And uh, what, what why don't you tell everyone what uh, the Fallout podcast is and any other uh, podcasts that you might be uh, doing nowadays? I will. I will indeed. Um, so good evening, Hiram and uh, Bob. Thanks for letting me on your show. I, I really enjoy the the kind of uh, the lyrical takes that I've heard on some of your episodes so far. I loved the, the winter episode. You un- uncovered things about that song that I'd never considered before. So thank you for that. Oh, oh good um, to hear. Very flattering. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I do a... a like a bracket showdown podcast with um, four uh, friends called the Fallout Podcast. We named it after the popular video game, so that it would be as uh, we get as as many people disappointed in listening as possible. I'm sure that not <laughs> of our listeners are like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> um, so we do like a, a showdown thing, a head to head, which is uh, kind of a lot of fun and, and brings a bit of a bit of tension, a bit of argument into the room, which is always good for us, uh, for kind of uh, gnarly northerners to, to have a go at each other. Um, yeah, and I do a couple of others. I do I do an education one because I'm a, a kind of teacher called uh, Reinventing Education, which is quite serious and about uh, progressive education. And then I do one about Maud Flanders, which is uh, ridiculous and stupid. And I'm actually wearing a T-shirt that uh, my brother drew of two characters. Nice. Oh, look at that. <laughs> two Maud-related characters that we invented for our show. So. Um, <laughs> Now, what's what's that one called? Is that the Modcast? It's called the Modcast, and again, confusingly, there's like five other podcasts called the Modcast. But uh, this is at least top ten in terms of Mod Flanders based podcasts. <laughs> well, are there, are there yeah. other Mod Flanders based podcasts? Sad, really, uh, sadly, no. This might be a cottage industry. Oh, yeah. uh, the others are all about other people called Mod, like the B. Arthur Show or some uh, <laughs> Filipino band called Mod. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Such is the internet, right? Any idea you have, someone else has already like done a million different things with it. So right, no, that's great. I'm definitely going to check out the modcast. That's that's all. Do, yeah. Your modcast, and maybe yes. the B. Arthur, yeah, the only modcast that matters. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, do you want to do? Did you want to start off the discussion on English scheme or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you got anything that? That you want to bring to, about that one? Or? Oh, I got copious notes because it's kind of, in its own way, it's my favorite song. You know, the fall have so many different kind of ways you can approach them, whether you're looking for the noisy stuff or the silly stuff or whatever. But this is kind of, um, this is my favorite in terms of the satire, the lyrics. He, he never, 
he never really got so lyrically pointed again. I don't think there's not many places where it's just a straight up poetic satire and it's really tight. There's not really any, um, there's no wasted lines and uh, there's nothing that's too ambiguous in there. It's pretty much just him taking the piss out of all the different stratas of uh, English culture. Um, so that's where I went with it. My second choice was going to be um, Lie Dream of Casino Soul because I'm, I'm from Wigan. The, the town oh, where, yeah. where the casino actually is. So, you know, Smith wrote this song about, uh, like my mom and dad went to the casino, those all-nighters in the 70s. And uh, yeah, yeah. so they're the kind of people he was writing that song about. <laughs> uh, but I went with English Scheme just because, um, you know, he says if we were smart, we'd emigrate. And I actually did emigrate three different times. <laughs> Not that it makes me smart, but... Every time I did it, you know, everyone I met was like, yeah, good choice. You're best out of it. <laughs> Every English, but so it's like a lot of, um, I work with a lot of Canadians and um, Australians and they love Canada. They love Australia and they'll say how great it is. But if you meet an English person, they're like, nah, mate, you're better. You're better off out of it. So Wow. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. So that's kind of one of the reasons why I was drawn uh, repeatedly to this kind of song. Um, right, but, right. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like you know American backpackers through Europe like uh, sewing Canadian flag patches on their on their knapsacks so they don't get harassed <laughs> for being Americans out there. Exactly, and rightfully yeah. they should be. Right? Yeah, the better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, so it's a great great song, and there's so much to dig in into the lyrics. I'm hoping we get a bit of a chance to look at. Uh, you know, some of the lyrics and, uh, Oh yeah. 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 Um, I, I just have one thing. Cause the first two lines I have always kind of stuck out to me because they sound like, um, they sound like he's something he cribbed from like a, a romantic poet and, uh, and especially like something from Wordsworth or somebody like that, you know, like, or grassy dale and lowland sea like it's, he should be like sweeping his arm around you know what i mean yeah so that's what i've always really liked about those first two because it's like it's even coming like even at the very beginning he's moving from like the rom a romantic poetic idea into uh <laughs> into like talking about working class conditions so so we can we can definitely start from there or anywhere else you want, but I just wanted to I definitely wanted to bring that up because I always love that about this song. And yeah. actually, I didn't even I didn't even actually know it was oh were Grassy Dale. I just thought he was saying oh Grassy Dale, like the capital O, exactly like a romantic poet. So I was like I thought it was even more like a Wordsworthian thing. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, I was going to say is like I guess we all probably go to the annotated fall for the definitive kind of set of lyrics. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. He didn't write any. He very rarely wrote any of them down and handed out the lyrics. So the thing is, this is that one. I, I guess I do accept, but there's other stuff on there that I'm. I, I'd still go with my definition that I've heard over the years. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that romantic sense. opening, yeah, uh, I wandered lonely as a cloud or, you know, this kind of like setting the uh, setting the scene for a beautiful romantic description of England before he hits you with, you know, 
Exactly. Orwellian <laughs> filth. <laughs> and, and this is the other thing that Orwell came to my hometown, Wigan, and wrote the book, The Road to Wigan Pier, about how shit it was. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like going from the romantic into the kind of uh, the grime of working class life. I mean, that's Smith just... Once you dig into this stuff, it's just unbelievable that these are song lyrics. Uh, yeah. In some way. No, yeah, no, I, I would say so as well. I mean, he's definitely, I mean, it said on the Annotated Fall, like um, he had mentioned in a review, I believe, or a, a, an interview, like that this song, he said, this is a loose description of the English class system. Like uh, somebody named Martin on Annotated Fall, like posted that. And I was just like, oh, you know, after reading that, I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense as to why it would be like start off with this whole romantic ideal where, I mean, romantic, romantic poets, there isn't, I don't think there's a lot of uh, working classness really about romantic poets, unless I'm completely wrong, but I don't think I probably am. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and then it kind of moves into the whole, yeah, the, or, I think the Orwellian thing is, uh, the, the grit and the grime is actually a good way to put it. Oh, hello. Sorry, I have cats. They like to get nice. up here when I talk. Beautiful. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, the, there's a lot of romantic poets that maybe looked at the working class and wrote romantic things about them, but there's not a lot from internal. It's, it's kind of a, a different take. And yeah. Um, just that juxtaposition that Smith just makes throughout this song and, and does in all of his lyrics where he goes from the sacred to the profane or whatever you want to call it, like just jumping between the minutiae to the cosmic. And he just, he was so good at that. Um, yeah. And I think he said something along the lines of, you know, one of the few advantages of being in an impoverished sub art group in England is you get to see the different stratas of society for free. That was it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, um, I, you know, did a few stints in bands. I was certainly not very successful, but uh, I, I traveled around a little bit and in other cases, and it is, it's, it is a really interesting country. It's a microcosm. You know, the States is huge. And if you travel around, you see s such a broad range of cultures. But in England, they're like, you only have to go 10 miles to go from Liverpool to my hometown in Wigan, then 10 more miles to Manchester, another 20 on to Leeds, Newcastle, then you're into Glasgow and Edinburgh. And it's like, you you really, you, the, the, the island is uh, condensed in terms of culture. So, um, mm. yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, no. That's that's very. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> one one thing I was going to say about um, um, Steve Hanley's book talks about the writing process of the song, and uh, it's not. Oh often, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you don't get a lot. You don't hear a lot about his process. They don't. That none of them really like to talk about it too much. But I think um, he says Mark comes in with a tape, waving. Listen to this. He puts it in the cassette player, and it's a recording of birds with an ice cream van in the background. <laughs> and uh, he says, that's the sound of the lower class English summer. We need a song like that. Get on it. And he shouts at Mark <laughs> Riley. So Mark Riley starts playing the, the ice cream tinkle on his uh, keyboard. And um, 
they says Mark seems quite pleased. So they went with that. And apparently that's the, the genesis of the song. Although he did tell him off. I don't want it to be the Blackpool Pier family show. I want it to be kids chucking bricks through dirty windows. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's what. Perfect. Oh, I was just going to say, I wrote that down too. And because I, after I saw it on the internet, I looked up and my copy of big midweek. And so it was like, Oh yeah. Which actually, you know, helped me out. Cause usually I'm looking in there for different things on the songs. And uh, this time I didn't even really have to look uh, just to make sure, but yeah, go, go ahead. Uh, nice. It's beautiful. And um, we're lucky as fall fans now with so many books coming out. I don't know if you've seen the excavate one that Bob Stanley just put out with the suit with the essays. That's awesome. Yes. And uh, bricks. I, I have it. I have the excavate one. I just haven't had a chance to really dig into it much yet. So yeah, I mm. want to. Uh, yeah, I mean, I look. I've read a few of the essays and stuff. That Mark Fisher one is really good. I know some people don't like kind of what I'm doing. Maybe what you're doing to dig in and, and analyze the fall. It's like, but you know, it's a body of art. It's 500 songs over three decades. You'd be a fool not to. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we ne we never you know we don't get too many pe people complaining. Like occasionally, somebody will be like, "Oh, I just would rather listen to the music and not listen to the lyrics." And I'm like, "All right, cool, do that." Yeah, Spotify's over there. That's yeah. Oh no, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, I just really like that idea of it be being based on a. Uh, what is essentially a field recording of yeah. <laughs> that Mark did it. Yeah. And it reminds me of other people like, like Don, is it Van? I think it's Don Van Vliet, Captain Beefheart bringing in like a tape of the windshield wipers and going here, make this a song. And they came out, you know? So, yeah. I mean, like bat, I think it was, it was bat chain puller that came out. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. yeah. The song just, dun, dun, yeah. So, uh, so no, I just think that's a great, a great story and hopefully it's not just a story like just because hanley said it in his book i can't if mark had said that i might not believe it but because hanley put it in his book i i, I have to believe it in some sort of way i think if that makes sense so he's a bit more reliable i think you take everything to do <laughs> yeah. with the fall with a pinch of salt but i think hanley's kind of <laughs> it's likely that that did happen in some form because i've said i read a version of it i think in the in the book itself where he says mark just goes to the pub and leaves them and i was like you know that's his style because he's kind of we talk a lot on, a, on our show about him being like the a band leader as much as uh, or a group leader as much as the singer right so he's kind of like mm -hmm. oh, i'll see you mm -hmm. give me 12 songs i'll see you in two weeks and i know he did yeah. that with the later <laughs> bands the lad kieran who's on the hanley's podcast he's like yeah he left us for like a month yeah. <laughs> and comes back and says where's these songs oh those are shit get rid of all those let's <laughs> pay 20 grand to record like 20 songs he throws them all away remixes them while they're all on holiday he's, he must have been an absolute nightmare to work with Oh, probably. Yeah, I would guess so. Oh, I imagine <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So one, one, uh, one line I got stuck on, there was the, we was talking about you're like your psychotic big brother who left home for jobs in Holland, Munich, Rome. And I mean, we talked about you, you emigrating, Brendan, but is, is that, I think that's related to something with, from his family. Is that right? Didn't his brother, didn't Marky Smith have a brother who, who took off to take a job outside of the UK? 
Now, I know he had three sisters. I don't think he had a brother, but I'm sure people in his family did that oh, okay. because in the 80s, uh, 70s, 80s particularly, that was actually a big thing. So there was a my, – my, my dad was a, a builder, and so a lot of people we knew – would go over to the continent for like jobs when, you know, it was pr- pretty grim in Thatcher era Britain, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. if you're, if you're, if you're working on the, then the mines or on building sites, whatever. So that you're looking for, for work. And so there was actually a really popular TV show called Alvida Same Pet, which is about a group of uh, Geordies, Newcastle builders who go over to Germany and they're like their adventures over there. So this was actually a big, Thing culturally in Britain in the in the eighties, so um, that I think he's he may know someone, but he's referring, I think, to that. Um, yeah, and um, the smart he talks about obviously isn't book smart. It's kind of like you know just uh, life smart. I'm going to go mm. up to Munich and make a bunch of cash, and then blow it and then come back and then go over to Rome for a bit and whatever. <laughs> yeah, for, for a young, for a young adventurous working class electrician in the eighties, life O'Reilly, maybe for a bit. Right, right. Now it reminds exactly. me of uh, the new John sales book that I had just finished reading not too long ago. Oh, Yellow Earth, it's called. It's sort of a, a, a book about um, fracking. You know, the, okay. the yeah, yeah. trying to extract, uh, you know, oil from shale rock here and just like how it takes over the small town and how there's all these groups of, of you know, uh, gig workers basically going to these towns and, and doing this job and saving up all this money, but then blowing all the money at uh, the strip clubs that pop up there and the, the bars where there's, you know, backroom gambling going on. And so... Is yeah, that, is that... Else to say. <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's working class culture, isn't it? And this is what yeah. Myth understood. And the thing is, he, 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 de- he deals with middle class and working class culture in this song a lot. He only briefly talks about upper class, but because he, he knows that those kind of like those cultures. And yeah, fracking is happening a lot over here. But I think that just that nature of um, transient workers coming in and making a bunch of cash and then blowing it all on hookers yeah. and blow. <laughs> You know, <laughs> moving on to the next town, or or responsibly sending it home to their families, as many of there you them, go. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Not everybody was into hookers and blow. No. Although I don't know why. <laughs> um, so I was I was just gonna I was just gonna say like, you know, you you were from the the Thatcher, or you were speaking of it from the Thatcher era and the and the mining, but I was in Kansas, which is like farmland in the 80s, where like family farms are just shutting down right and left because of Reagan uh, and because of like the farm prices tanking because they were like holding, holding out for, you know, or like get, getting wheat from Russia or whatever it was. I can't remember. Mm, this yeah, yeah, there, yeah. there were lots of different things, but yeah. Although, you know, most of the people that from there, from, from Kansas were like leaving to go to, uh, you know, carpentry or whatever be an electrician in a city after that like a lot of family farms just shut down and so or they sold out to like large seed corporations like so or whatever and mm. so you know Most so so it's the same not, yeah. yeah exactly so it's kind of the same sort of thing but uh but no it totally totally makes sense as to what was going on with that like there weren't there wasn't as much immigration it was just moving to some other place in the u.s there was though 
immigration with an eye up to farmland and things like that. But that's probably a whole different story and a whole different song. <laughs> so well, the, thing, the thing is, I would say, you know, what, what Smith's talking about is universal in some way, but is really pertains to kind of England in the, in the eighties. But I, I yeah. question you, a question you asked a few, uh, one of the episodes I listened to was like, who is the American like Marquis Smith, does that person exist? And I think you kind of went back and forth, but struggled. And I had to think about that. And I struggled too. Um, I don't, I don't know if there's an American singer who kind of has the scope that Smith had. Well, there's no, there's no other British singers either. He was unique, but I don't know if there's anyone that deals with that range of the minutiae, but also the big themes and, they're kind of outside the culture, but they're on the fringes and the humor with the serious kind of take as well. Um, yeah, I thought of like Zapper, but you know, he's a whole different character. And obviously Malcolmus, but he's kind of stealing his shtick from Smith a lot. And- <laughs> well, I'd also say, I don't think, and forgive me if I'm completely wrong, but I don't think Stephen Malcolmus is anywhere near working class. Oh, no, no, no. He's, oh, so, no, he, no. And, and neither was yeah. Zapper for that matter. I mean, the, no, that's true. That's th- true. There's, there's very few working class heroes who, who actually come from there. Even the one who sang the song was more or less middle class. <laughs> Lennon Len- right, was not right. a working class uh, man. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I actually thought he was closer. If, if you're going to look into American culture and someone that critiques it, you want to look at uh, stand-up comedians, Bill Hicks, and even someone like Jerry Seinfeld, get, although, again, it's a very different take. Yeah, I would also Absolutely say, true. like... George Carlin. Yeah, 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 Carlin, for sure. Especially at that time period. Um, maybe a little earlier, you had newspapermen, like kind of Jimmy Breslin sort of people or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a few like early rock and roll people were all working class, right? Mostly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once once it became like a set thing in the seventies, uh, I, I can't really or even eighties. Like the only eighties person I could think of, and this is just off the top of my head, is um, Mellencamp, okay, John Peter yeah, yeah. Mellencamp. Dude, yeah. That's just because he's from Indiana and he. You know, I don't know how working class he actually was either. But it's also the working class, but with that lyrical nature, because, you know, if we look in in England, it's Sean Ryder, for example, fantastic singers, Happy Mondays, mm-hmm. great band. You uh-huh. have the lyricism of Smith. Smith was so well read on top of that. And he yeah. comes out of that working class culture that actually promotes education. And this is mm-hmm. kind of... You know, there is a strand of working class culture that, especially now, reality TV and lowest common denominator internet shit, it's like there is a strand that just promotes idiocy. <laughs> and um, yeah, well, but same in America. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'd noticed. <laughs> but, um, but there's also a strand of working class culture that promotes uh, autodidactism and, uh, and self-education and, and sure. uh, you know, the, the kind of the Labour Party ideals, the ideals that come out of kind of, you know, community building um, kind Ooh. of ideals. Um, just an interesting train of thought you sent me off there for. Uh, so it's a. Uh, oh, that's all right. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> no, I was thinking, I mean, talking about just the, someone who came up from the working class and sort of uh, became 
uh, someone that could touch on these, you know, big, broad subjects as well as getting into the, you know, very minute details of it. Uh, I mean, he's not a musician and, but Mark Fisher, I think is probably the closest that we have anymore to a Marky Smith type, but he's working obviously in a very different field. Yeah. That essay that he wrote, uh, um, Memorex for the Kraken, who that's in ex- Excavate about the fall. Um, Mm-hmm. he's great i mean he, he he passed away what about four or five years ago now i think so yeah but his stuff yeah same kind of um angry well-educated working class kind of lyrical kind of ideas you know when you get somebody like that and they approach something that's always been looked at from a middle-class lens they're just going to see other things and put other context and spin on that and the magic of smith was that he married it to these great pop songs as well there's like mm-hmm. you can listen to the fall as a punk or post-punk pop fan and and get a lot out of it and that's one of the things we have on the show all the time you know it's like a couple of the lads are mostly musicians, drummer and uh, and guitarist, and they focus on the music much more. And then we've got uh, some of us that really start with the lyrics. And that's the, you know, I'm gushing now, but that's the magic of the fall. <laughs> you can do that, right? <laughs> right. No, no, it's very true. Um, I, I was going to say one little thing uh about a book i'm reading now and it's about someone we're gonna have on the show so we're kind of plugging it uh cynthia cruz wrote a book called the melancholy of class and uh i just happened to see like an interview with her in quietus and was like oh cool because what she's doing is talking about working class like artists and like the melancholia behind a lot of working class artists and anger and it's a really good book. It was released on repeater, uh, I believe in the UK. Um, okay. So I'm almost done with it, but it's really good. So if you like Fisher, cause she's definitely like along the same lines as Fisher. Like uh, I think that like you could, you should check that out cause it's really good. Nice. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I totally get that the melancholy and the anger informs a lot of working class art. I, I, I went to, I did my degree in visual arts. So I was, you know, I grew up in, in a working class kind of town. And then and I, and I went to do an arts degree. So it's like the fall was designed for me. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm the niche market. And also uh, Smith would hate me for it. Exactly. <laughs> but Well, no, same, same here. I'm the same way. So yeah, I, I understand. So it's like, he would probably call us like eggheads or whatever, roundheads or whatever from yeah. this song, like, you know, but whatever, it's his own fault. You know, it's, he's like one of the people you can look at and be like, no, it's because of you. It is. Like, yeah. Hey, student. Yeah, well, you know, I, I hated being called a student band. Like, you know, but it's the case. A lot of people, and this is what happened for me. It's like, I was into Queen when I was 17, but by the time I was 19, I was like, you know, I'd gone off the deep end into indie music mm-hmm. and stuff and it's like mm-hmm. the fall was an ever present no matter which band you liked somebody would quickly say oh they like fall oh you like pavement try the fall oh you, oh, you like the stooges what about the fall you like joy division what about the fall like, <laughs> and, and and you listen to john peel and every third song is a fall song you're like okay maybe <laughs> right, maybe, right. maybe i should check these these guys out right a little bit <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, when I, so most people would only guess that Smith would dislike their stuff, but I actually know because I was sound checking in Manchester in the nineties with my band and, <laughs> and we were in the cafe. Told, we said, tell this, this um, story on the show a few weeks ago, but because the other lad, Phil, he, we were in the band together. We were sound checking in the nine day cafe in Manchester totally empty except for one old chap sat in the corner drinking a beer and we're like oh fuck that's mark smith he sat in the corner so we fire up our most fall-esque song <laughs> about 20 seconds in he just stands up and leaves his almost full pint and walks out and doesn't even look <laughs> back he's like it's like if you can get an alcoholic oh, wow. to leave a full pint you know <laughs> that they don't like what you're doing so that is an achievement wow <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, you know, that my highest and lowest point in my life, you know, simultaneously. I don't know. You can't, You got to look back on that and feel pretty good, at least, you know, mostly. I, I would say, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. What was it, your What was your band, Brendan? They were a band called Fleck. We didn't get signed. We just released a few things independently and did a few little tours. And it was like, a, it was an indie rock band, you know, a lot, very much informed by what was going on at the time. Stone Roses, um, kind of pavementy, Radiohead kind of stuff. You know, there's a lot what of... Time? Sorry, what time? What year was this? So we, we started about 93, 94, and we went on until about 2000 in a few various formats. Um, oh. Yeah, okay. I, I I think maybe somewhere along the line I've read that you guys were in bands, or am I yeah. wrong there? We probably both talked about them at some point. Like, yeah. that was I was in a band around that same time period. We did tours and okay. a few very small records, and so yeah. What was the name of that band? Uh, that band was called Teriyaki's. Okay. It actually, it's a long story, but yeah, that was how, what it ended up as. It's just teriyaki. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we live our lives and we go through many different paths, right? And But I've do, I still do music to this day in different forms. That's just the stuff I do. It's a lot of fun. And Bandcamp just lets you put out, you know, tons oh, yeah. of stuff whenever you want, right? Same, right. same, totally. Yeah. Bob, what was your band? I've always, I don't know. I know I've asked you, but I always forget. And was oh, this sure. one with... Was this one with uh, with Ryan? Yeah, this is one with, with Ryan Matheson. It was a band called Rally Boy. It was uh, oh, uh, it was an epithet that someone was that gave to a, a, a an athlete in a college yearbook or high school yearbook that uh, my bandmates found from the fifties, I think. And nice. so they latched onto that, and they released. Yeah, we released like one EP on a Portland label, and uh, they did a single with a different drummer before I joined. And so yeah, we. Yeah, we stuck around for a while, did some touring, played South by Southwest once, but uh, yeah, it didn't really, didn't really go anywhere in our interest. The interests of a couple of the other guys in the band wandered away from music, so we called it quits after a stretch. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. And um, just to tie all that back to the fall, the, the the fact that Smith kept it going year after year with yeah, labels, absolutely. no labels, major labels, fist fights. <laughs> wheelchair <laughs> death whatever right i know i was gonna i was gonna say stage. legion 
Yeah, leaving people on the side of the road, that sort of stuff. <laughs> just absolute, just just living his life like one foot in front of the other, just like totally <laughs> yeah, intuitive. Yeah. I've tried to tie like a few times, tried to pitch to the other lads that Miles Davis is a is a lived his life in a similar way. He was always moving forward. His music was always changing for better or worse. And I love yeah, I love Miles Davis's kind of thing. I just love those artists that just keep moving forward and changing and there's very few of them out there that don't either stagnate or die early or mm. uh, whatever right is a handful of people that start and 50 years or 40 years later they've just leave this body of work that's constantly evolving and uh, mm -hmm. smith and uh, miles davis are two yeah exactly no i like that i had i didn't really put miles in 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 mark Smith together but yeah that makes sense like just because of the trajectory of what's going on yeah only in that sense and the fact that they probably both were absolute maniacs who you would horrible to work room with, with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you'd not want to be in a room with either of them for more than five minutes but it's like but from the outside yeah what a what a ride what a roller coaster <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that makes sense that makes sense um so to just to bring it back to the song one thing I wanted to point out that I thought was interesting was uh, the word switch in the song works as both, uh, what did I write? Um, so, it, so it works as form and function basically, like in the, in, the, in the he's thick but he struck it rich switch. So the switch is where he switches to middle class, like speaking like a middle class person, but it's also, the second time that they go into the little chorus bit. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, no, it's very clever and they don't do that yeah. very much very often. No. And there's some, there's some other like musical things. One was brought up uh, at the annotated fall where they turn on the snare drum mic after they, after while they say point, uh, point their fingers, point at, their America. fingers at America. Yeah. Yeah. And I noticed today when I was listening to it while walking around, um, like your psychotic big, bro big brother who left home is reverbed mm -hmm. out. And it's the only thing that's reverbed out as far as vocals go. So I thought that was pretty interesting too. Like, oh, I never noticed that. Yeah. I don't know what that means exactly. And I doubt that there was like some sort of gate on the reverb that made it because it, maybe he's saying into it louder, like more reverb. I just, I can't imagine that happening. <laughs> Uh, like at this point during the recording process, but you know, maybe, but yeah, it's definitely reverbed out. Like I didn't notice it until I was listening to it on headphones. So, so it's they're definitely playing around with sound a little more on this song than normal. You know, I think the touches that they have and some are clearly intentional. Now, the switch is clear. I mean, whether or not he actually thought mm -hmm. it through or whether it was just a lucky coincidence that he switched into the middle-class part at that point, but right. This you is know. the thing, right? So we talked about intentionality. The, the lads, uh, this is where I get pretentious and the other lads start to take the piss out of me. But <laughs> the idea of intentionality. And I, let's do a podcast called Weird Studies where they talk about Kubrick. And because Kubrick thinks mm. about everything, we think he's thought about everything. So if you see like a, you know, if, if you were looking there on a street and someone, there's like a coin dropped in the gutter or whatever, you're like, oh, the coin, of course this ties back. This <laughs> but it could just have been a coin that was dropped and nobody saw it. So right. we, 
it's a good, it's a fun game to play. It's like, did was the reverb and the switch and the and the point uh, of fingers at America? Is this like, oh, he's he's referring to the big eighties sound. That's his, that's his thing. That's Springsteen. That's the <laughs> was it? Maybe he is that right. smart, <laughs> but he also might not be. Yeah, no, the, like doesn't Eno call those the happy accidents? <clears throat> I think that's Eno, right? So yeah, yeah it's so. it's always hard so. to tell with yeah, it's it's hard to tell with Mark like what is the happy accident and what was, but it doesn't really. I guess if you really wanted to get pretentious about it, you could argue with authorial intent. Uh, but you know, it doesn't matter at at some point because it's cool. And there's some weird shit going on. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter like, because it's it's your song now, right? Yeah, exactly. And so that's why when the reverb happened, like I could understand the switch thing having both form and function, and maybe the snare thing coming on. But the reverb thing, I was like, what does that mean? Is it like a horror movie thing? And I was just like, who cares? Like that's yeah. th- that was ac- actually what my brain did. I started like trying to figure out, and I was like, who gives a shit? It's just a cool thing that happens. Like, so it's, it, I don't know. I just found that really interesting within the song, at least like of what is going on with this whole song. Like there's, no, there's a lot more than just the lyrics going on with this one. I would say. I think so. When yeah, you get I into, love, sorry, Bob, go ahead. No, no, please. You. I was just going to say, but I've talked a lot. I, t- I do talk a lot. But, <laughs> all right. I, I'll, I'll go quickly, but to, <laughs> I like this idea that um, later you you do hear a lot more tapes layered in. So he would bring his dictaphone in. I don't know if he was doing it quite as much at this part, but but later when you get to some of the mid-period stuff that isn't maybe as interesting, the middle-class revolt mm. kind of era, but they're burying in multiple layers. And I think John Lackey, when he came on board, because he's, he's, you know, did a lot of stuff with XTC and later with Radiohead and stuff, it's like I think he brought a lot of that in. Um, this is a bit early for this, maybe. So, um, but right. definitely that layering c- comes in a lot later on. There's... I have. Go ahead, Bob. Sorry. I have to wonder if, if as well, like they were listening. I mean, you know, I was just thinking about Lee Scratch Perry, who passed away just very recently, and how much I know that that you know those the styles of of that West Indian music was was you know pervasive in post punk and and in England at the time, and whether that was playing a factor into some of the production techniques, uh, uh, even those little things like, like that reverb, that line in the song. Um, actually, what's really weird is there's a reggae song that it reminded me of, and I could never, I couldn't remember the title today, but it's one in which the, the it's a woman singer and she says something like, you got to dub it, dub it, dub it. And then every time she says dub it, the, bass drum is reverbed out and her vocal is reverbed out so that's what it reminded me of mm. <laughs> but i couldn't remember the name and googling like reverb dub it doesn't really help for strange reasons no uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway so i i like that i i'm what i'm i guess what i'm saying bob is i agree with you Sorry. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Adrian Sherwood, who was the big dub guy in England, he was in and right. around, and then they, he got involved with Colcott as well, who were, as you know, you know, then they were big on on the kind of like dub influences. So, absolutely, if it was intentional, um, no question that Smith was listening to reggae and and dub around that time. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and it's a great influence, and I think that's another 
you know, when you look at the disparate influences, we started doing a little bit of a segment on the show about influences and we did Beefheart and then we looked at Newt Hampson, the, the modernist writer, one of the lads brought him up and then, Whoa. you know, we looked at Frank Sidebottom. The, I don't know if you know oh, Frank. Right. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, so yeah. Those are three influences or people who are highly influenced by the fall. And it's like, that is a pretty wide range. And that's just the kind of beginnings of it. And um, that is another kind of unique thing that you can always say, oh, yeah, they did some dub. Yeah, they did some kind of country. They had some kind of uh, rockabilly, even elements of metal towards the end with the, mm-hmm. the lads in that last band. So... I wanted um, to ask you a question, if it's okay. Yeah, like go your ahead. Perspective as uh, as Americans, North Americans, on some of the the lyrical turns and the overall uh, critique of English culture. Um, I mean, I was interested in fall fans who aren't from Manchester. I think mm. um, it's always a unique take on on the band. So what's your What's your kind of take on the the, the lyrics? I, 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 what set me off on this was you started talking about um, oh, the dude from On the Buzzes. The um, there was a reference to a minor English actor, and you went on about him for a little bit um, for for a while. Reg Varney. You went on about Reg Varney for a while. He was mentioned in a song a while back, and he was like a minor English kind of like sitcom character. And I was just like, as a Fall fan from. It's just so rooted in English culture and, and language. And I just wonder if your perspective on that. Bob, you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, that's a really good question. About, uh, I think it was one of the things that attracted me to the fall is, is the, uh, how English it, it was. And I, you know, I'm, I'm like, it sort of dovetailed into sort of my obsession with English music at the time, as I think I was getting into, you were talking about the stone roses uh, around that same time. Um, XTC is obviously a huge one for me as well. Uh, and a lot of, yeah, a lot of the Manchester bands and spiral carpets, um, happy Mondays, charlatans, all that stuff. And, and, you know, even before that, uh, being a big fan of Monty Python, I think sort of set me off on this path of really wanting to explore English culture. And so, yeah, I, I think I picked up on some of those little details better than most, but uh, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts, Hiram? Uh, you know, I, I'm along the same lines as Bob. Like I've always liked English music a lot, like different disparate periods and bands. Uh, but I also, and this is another thing I was thinking about <laughs> earlier today. I also went through a big Faulkner phase because I'm big into words and literature because I have like whatever degree in literature. I'm not bragging, just pointing out. Okay. So, yeah, so does Bob. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> anyway, so so I was I was big into Faulkner for a period of my life and I, I still like him, but, you know, whatever. There's lots of problems. But uh, but because he he created his own little county, which is based on where he lived in Mississippi, uh, which is Yachnet. Patafa County and like so I like like the the sort of local dialect that some writers use and I like like you know a sort of like geographic idea in the writing like I think I think like American there's some American novelists and definitely you know painters of 
of late 19th, early 20th century were doing this, like uh, Thomas Hart Benton and that kind of shit, where, mm. you know, like regionalist sort of ideas. Um, so once, once I grasped that idea about Mark, because when I first started listening to the fall, I could only understand about three words out of every, every <laughs> stanza or something. It seemed like, like, that's not actually true, but it seemed like that. Yeah. So actually having annotated fall was a, like a godsend, really, I guess you could say. Um, so I think that's where I come from with it. It's just like the, the, the idea of regionalism as a way to talk about the world at large for me and my brain had already kind of wrapped around that idea. So like once I got, once I tweaked that about Mark, it was just easier. And then just doing research on stuff, like trying to figure out, and you know, like I know that I brought up something about, was it Legend? I think because I was convinced, I'd convinced myself that Legend was like a slang term in Britain. But I turned, but it, but the couple of people we asked about it who were from Britain on here were like, no, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> no, no, dumbass. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that's it. That's it for me. Basically, it's just like, I, I, I don't know always what he's talking about, and so like having to look people up or, you know, just trying to double check on things is kind of part of the fun for me. Yeah. So what I kind of get set me off on that was the reference to Peter Cook in this. So, oh yeah. I mean, you, you get you're you're educated guys. You'll know Peter Cook, of course. But, <laughs> but I'm guessing I'm guessing for the average non-Britain Brit, they would know Dudley Moore, maybe. If yeah. Yeah. Our age, but you wouldn't know Peter Cook, and there's a habit of that. So it's like, you know, Peter Sellers, Dudley Moore, Hugh Laurie. So they're the mm. ones that people outside of Britain know, but we know Spike Milligan, Peter Cook, and Stephen Fry, right? Those are, those, right. it's almost a yeah. flip. So it's like for uh, um, things like that to set it in context, I love that. It's like, you, you know, and if you are, no matter where you are in the world, you're going you're gonna to get something different and a different context from this song. And I guess that's why I chose it because it's, it's, um, it's actually probably an easy way into the fall for a lot of people. If you if you're even kind of slightly into lyrics and post punk, you're going to listen to this and think, yeah, yeah, I can get this. And then it's like, okay, where do I go next? <laughs> okay, well, right. why don't you yeah. try? I don't know where you go next because wherever you go next, it's it's more difficult. Um, it's just uh, you know, I think it. I think what I also liken it to is is uh, kind of listening for me listening to to hip hop, especially when I started listening to it in the eighties, mm. where it's like you know you're I was it felt like a little secret that you kind of like got these little references that they were dropping in or these little things. And so like hearing Peter cook in this song, when I heard it's like, Oh yeah, I know Peter cook. Like, and I'll pat myself on the back. Like, you know, I'm the, the smart American that knows who the hell Peter cook is, but yeah, but I think, you know, that definitely fed into a lot of it as well. I think just like catching a lot of the, the, the um, literary references in his songs and references to other, you know, pieces of British culture, like felt like a little thing I could lord over anybody else who cared about the fall, which not many people I knew did. So, Right, right. But that's what it's no, about, I, really, isn't it? As a music fan, being able to <laughs> to tell everybody else how much more we know. <laughs> exactly. I worked in record shops for several years, and that was basically the only thing that kept me going. That's that's the job right there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like what Bob brought up about uh, about rap too, because yeah, being I was an early rap fan too, thanks to like Night Flight and uh, you know just oh, yeah. stuff. 
Um, so like learning, learning slang terms as a white kid in the middle of nowhere, Kansas was pretty hilarious. Like before anybody else even knew, <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, I, yeah. I can, under, I can understand that. Like that. And yeah, it also goes with the regionalism thing to bring it back into a more high minded ideal. There you go. Sorry. I was just saying that like, it's also like comes down to talk about that hip hop about like the, the songs that a lot of these producers were sampling for their records, you know, like, you know, I was just thinking about hearing, um, I don't think I know the uh, De La Soul song from three feet high and rising. I was like, Oh, shit, that's, a, that's a steely Dan song. They're, they're right, right. copying there. That's pretty amazing. But, and I, and I get a bit of that with the fall too, just like picking up on the little musical references they're pulling from, whether it's like a spinal tap song or, or, you know, some, some country song, you know, I can, you know, those little, those little mm-hmm. bits and pieces are so alluring. Yeah. And I, I think when I relate back to hip hop, obviously the slang stuff in like when I was, you know, a kid and uh, listening to Ghostface Killer and I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. If I, mm. I once I read what, <laughs> and th- where I worked at what he was saying, I was like, wow, this is, I mean, he's still the greatest. I would doom of course, for me, greatest lyricist of all time, but Mm-hmm. In terms of the, the just the depth of his kind of lyrics, but Smith's there. He's up. He's up there. He's he's up there with Doom, up in heaven. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Toe totally. to toe. <laughs> Maybe <But> just <laughs> the process. Awesome. I think the process is is also working class. I think if you look at a lot of how <laughs> grime stuff in England and a lot of the trap stuff mm. is coming up in the states, and if you watch any of those videos where it's a producer, uh, you know, in his studio. I was looking at some of the Metro Booming stuff uh, uh, in a couple of years back, and he's just sitting in his studio and he's inviting rappers over. They come in and drop like, you know, a couple of verses, and then they'll go and he'll put an album together that way. And it's a kind of very yeah. loose and collective and intuitive way to work. And I think at times Smith did kind of work like that. On the room to yeah. particularly, he didn't even tell people who was playing. He just bring people in and say, oh, "Okay, you're, <laughs> you're you're drumming on this song. Never heard it before." It's like. It's a very working class and intuitive way to work, I think. And it's even like a, it's even like a, a, a reggae ideal of how to do things. Like you know, use the same beat and have twelve singers sing it and put it out like in different ways. And then like like that's how dub came about because they were trying to figure out new ways to make you know uh, something they could uh, sell out of this old right. stuff, right? So I think that that's that's a good uh, that's a good point. Oh, yeah. 